Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Welcome to another episode of Point Counterpoint. I'm your host, Chris Wright, and this is brought to you from KUST, University of St. Thomas campus radio. Keep banging. No, that's not my own catchphrase. That is the catchphrase of my latest guest on the show that I had on. I uploaded it last Saturday, so it's available. If you're listening to this uh, uh, as a podcast right now, that means that you have access to that episode, and you can go on there and you can see me talk to here. Hold on. You can see me talk to Mark Whitney. Now, Mark Whitney is a very unique candidate. And one of the things he's, well, what, he has multiple catchphrases. I said one of them, keep banging. He also does, um, the people are not red or blue, they're purple. And also, he says, uh, we don't need a third party, we need a third candidate. So, it was fun talking to him. Um, Hopefully we'll do it again sometime. We'll see how it works out. All right. I'll show you a little clip of it. My third interview today, man. Oh, okay. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> after after you, I get to I get to chill out a little bit. <laughs> All right. All right. You ready to start? Here we are. All right. Ready uh, when so you are, my friend. So welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Point Counterpoint. I'm your host, Chris Wright. And today I've brought on a special guest who is running for president with, is it the Civil Libertarian Party? Actually not a party. Um, All right. Where's the party? Okay. I think it. You still there? And Republican parties. Is this really the difference between, you know, institutional authority and individual autonomy? Presidents mm -hmm. obviously preside over institutions. They have to make sure the, the institutions they preside over are run well. The institutions are really important. But the institutions exist in the first place so that each of us as individual citizens, you know, mm -hmm. can have liberty and justice for all. So it's really the job of the president to, to guarantee our individual rights. So, so one, mm -hmm. of, one of the pitches that I have for uh, uh, young people, I'm 60. I just turned 60. My sons are mm -hmm. 32 and 35. But I'm, I'm aware, and I think it's a good point. Uh, in fact, my favorite comedian, George Carlin, used to make the point that the founders were a bunch of slave owners who wanted to be free. Yeah. And that, that is factually accurate. Um, but what's happened is one of the narratives that's out there is that, is that our Constitution has been really marginalized because that is who some of the founders were. But the Lincoln version of the Constitution which came along in 1865 with the Civil War Amendments, the 14th Amendment defines who is a citizen. In other words, the 14th Amendment says who is in the club. So for all the credit that our founders get, uh, they forgot in the original Constitution to define who is in the club. And it's kind of hyperbole to say that they forgot because, okay, here we go. And that's when the audio cut out for a second, so jumps ahead. That should be good. We're coming through now? All right. Yep. So where were we? Good. We, we okay, were here we are. Here we are. And scene. 
<laughs> I performed up in uh, your part of the world. You up in uh, uh, Minneapolis? Okay, that's interesting for as far as a review of the episode goes. And so what I'm going to do is take a year to stop judging each other by the and and that's the kind of conversations that uh, the office of the president can be used to in months. It was seven. Anyway, so interesting guy. You should go check him out. Uh, he also is, a, is on Twitter. So at Mark Whitney and literally the word at. So at the word at Mark Whitney. So I'll. There we go. There he is. All right. And there's this promo for our conversation that we had. Huh. Hmm. All right. But that's not why. Okay, first I wanted to do a little shout out to a podcast that I recently appeared on as a guest, and that would be Shokrut. And I will search that up for you here. There and Shokrut is an international podcast for cultural differences. There's three episodes out right now. Mine's come out in a couple weeks, the one I appear on. And that you're going to really want to check that one out because I performed some original pieces on there that I wrote. Two of my songs that I've written will be on there. Uh, Very good. And in case you don't know how to spell that, it's C-H-O-U with an accent, K-R-U with two dots, and T. And then the Spanish exclamation points in the other end. Okay. All right. Before I get into the heavier topic, I wanted to get into a little more fun topic. So first, let me just tell you, there's a song called Russian Lullaby. Uh, it's a jazz standard by Irving Berlin. It's. Vi- I'll just play it here. <laughs> It's not quite the it's not the version I was looking for. Is this one?
Let's see why I wanted to play this song. I'll explain it. First, a little information here about Irving Berlin. Irving Berlin was a jazz composer. He was originally from Russia, born in 1888 in Tolochin in the Russian Empire. And then he came to the United States uh, in what? What year did he come over again? Um, let's see. The Berlins were part of hundreds of thousands of other Jewish families who emigrated to, to the United States in the late 1800s and early 1900s, escaping discrimination, poverty, and brutal pogroms. Is this a violent riot aimed at the massacre or persecution of an ethnic or religious group, particularly one aimed at Jews. Okay. Including families of George and Ira Gershwin, Al Jolson, Sophie Tucker, L. Wolf Gilbert, Jack Yellen, Louis B. Mayer, and the Warner Brothers. So he came over to the U.S. Well, here's his. That's just an old thing of his. Hey, but born in 1888, died in Manhattan in 1989 at the age of 101. But he's a great composer. But I think one important thing to look at is the lyrics. Alright, so there's I'm just going to say the main lyrics here. There are some extra lyrics that like Ella Fitzgerald sings in her version. But the main ones are Every night you'll hear her Every Every night you'll hear her croon A Russian lullaby Just a plaintive little tune 
When baby starts to cry. Rockabye, my baby. Somewhere there may be a land that's free for you and me and a Russian lullaby. Every night you'll hear her croon, a Russian lullaby. Just a plaintive little tune when baby starts to cry. Rockabye, my baby, sometime, somewhere there may be a land that's free for you and me and a Russian lullaby. And I'll, I'll read the first section too that goes before that. Where the dreamy Volga flows, there's a lonely Russian rose. Gazing tenderly down upon her knee, where a baby's brown eyes glisten, listen, and then every day. But it's a reflection at him leaving the, leaving Russia because of discrimination, anti-Semitic discrimination, and going over there. And then notice the part uh, somewhere there may be. Oh, first of all, a land that's free for you. That's the United States, obviously. But before that, it says somewhere there may be. Now, that is likely a hit at the 1924 National Origins Act, which, uh, which was to end immigration from Eastern Europe to the United States. So it, it was closed to Eastern Europeans at that time, including Russia. I think it's a very lovely little song. I'm just going to read this, this little uh, take on it. It says, the verse has been left out. You know, I'll talk about that first part. It says, the, the verse has been left out in all the recordings I know. The minimalist lyrics only hint at the grim historical and political background, but that this minimalism serves the song's purposes perfectly. It's neither an abstract political treatise nor a useless propaganda. The whole story with its many facets is condensed to the touching image. A lonesome mother with her baby. The writer doesn't even tell his listeners why the woman and her baby are alone and what had happened to her man. In fact, there's a, there's a lot of history between these few lines. On one level, the song refers to Tsarist Russia and reflects the collective, collective life history of the many immigrants who, like Berlin himself, had come to the USA to escape oppression and find a land that's free. It may have also been intended as a comment on Bolshevist Russia. Lawrence Bergin calls it a quiet protest against repression in the Soviet Union. I think that's enough of that.
one's Jerry Garcia's take. From the Department of Interior. Oh yes. How are you? Fine, just fine. Fine, just fine. Fine, fine, just fine. Fine, just fine. Fine. Now I'm just fine. Just fine. Fine. Fine, just fine. Fine, just fine. Fine, fine, just fine. Just fine, fine. You'll see why I said that. Why I played that video. You'll probably get it. It's not this. I just had to do this. Actually, seriously, listen. Oh, someone probably does. I shouldn't. I shouldn't be talking on that. Someone probably likes it. It's it's a good song. It's just really fun to make fun of it because <laughs> it's just a meme now. How long has that one been around? Rolling. <laughs> Rick Rolling. 
it's a, it's a prank on the internet. Me and involved an unexpected appearance of the music video from the 1987 Rick Astley song "Never Gonna Give You Up." When when did that start? Okay. Well. The first known instance of a Rick roll occurred in May 2007 on 4chan, oh, 4chan, 4chan's video game board. The first trailer for the game Grand Theft Auto 4 was unavailable due to heavy traffic, and a link claiming to be a mirror to the trailer connected users to the Rick Astley video. <laughs> <laughs> And then it became an internet phenomenon by May 2008. Okay. But what I wanted to get into was... Okay, this is going to get kind of dark here. But, okay, so I just... little background. Just watched a documentary on Amazon about eugenics and the history of it and I wanted to draw some parallels to modern genetic engineering and explaining why first of all I want to make I want to end up with the point that as a general rule the genetic engineering that is going to come in the future we're already starting to do it is not the same as old style eugenics but I can see there are potential concerns that we need to address in order to prevent the horrors of what went down previously. It's bas So basically, to, in order to understand what eugenics is, we have to understand that it was done with good intentions. And I realize the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Okay. But that, in order to understand how this phenomenon got started, you have to understand that it arose out of Charles Darwin's uh, plan of natural idea of natural selection and Mendel's idea of traits, and so they started believing that if you were able to prevent certain people, they're mainly f people deemed as feeble-minded. If you're able to prevent them from breeding, then you could have essentially uh, superhumans after this. Ubermenschen is Nietzsche's term. He was, I don't think he was a eugenicist, but yeah, Ubermensch, the ideal superior man of the future who could rise above conventional Christian morality to create and impose his own values, originally described by Nietzsche in Thus Spake Zarathustra, 1883-18. That's before eugenics. He, was, he thought of that as a philosophical concept. But, first of all, the, the term, the term feeble-minded they had different classifications, and what I'm using are diagnostic terms. So they had phrases like idiot, which is a diagnostic term now, it's just an insult to someone. Idiot, um, that was like the lowest. That was like 
intellectual functioning of a two to three year old. And what was the next one? It was like four to five year old, I think. Can't remember what that one was. But then there was like the moron, and that's the that's the big one that you gotta remember. That's like ten to twelve year old functioning. So like, that's the one that the eugenicists were very worried about because they were able to function properly, but they weren't quite uh, as high intelligence. So, and then of course the problem arises of who deem who decides who's a moron. They were people that were completely not they they weren't even intellectually deficient that were deemed morons like there's this one girl that i that i saw that she was raised in a foster in a nasty foster home she was hired out to different houses to do housework um eventually she would pull out of school at, in like fi fifth grade or something like that i think that's what it was she's very smart but then she beca she became f pregnant, and she was deemed a moron for apparently being you know sexual sexually promiscuous. And they forcefully sterilized her. That's what they did. And there are other people like the. There was a movie out called a. Uh, what was it called? Tomorrow's Children. It was about a family of feeble-minded people that were truly feeble. Well, yeah. Well, there's like a there's an alcoholic, and there was a people that were actually feeble-minded. And there's this one girl in it that they were going to forcefully sterilize her because they said three generations of feeble-minded is enough. And turns out she was adopted and she was able to not get sterilized. And they deemed anyone feeble-minded as anyone... They had a long list of people. What was it? Prostitutes. Um, people. Midgets. Um, I think... Did, did very I don't think very tall people got on the list. Well, what people in mixed race relationships were deemed in this? Obviously, just a long, long list of people that they didn't like, and it was it was very popular for a while. Uh, even people like uh, Kellogg. What's his first name? Um, and there it is. That Will Keith Kellogg. I think that's him. But he initially invented the Kellogg's. This is just a little factoid. He. He invented Kellogg cereal as a way to, as was essentially, well, as a way to cleanse the col the colon. Which <laughs> kind of made me laugh a little bit. <laughs> so there was a, that was a comic relief because I was that that was a really dark conversation. I didn't like talking about that.
but eventually um, people started to realize that this, people started to see that well first of all there was a experiment going on on fruit flies where they're trying to control certain traits like uh, does the do the flies have red eyes or size or whatnot in these fruit flies and one conclusion he arrived at was I can't even keep track of traits and flies how are we ever going to keep track of something as vague as feeble-mindedness in humans so that kind of that kind of turned that guy off from eugenics but I guess the point I really wanted to get to was well actually one more thing one thing that you'll notice about eugenics is eugenicists believe that the rights of society trump the rights of the individual. So it's a it's collective in nature. Come on. Why, why don't you support it, man? It's, it's, it's modern science. It's it's groundbreaking science. Well, do the rights of society really go over to supersede the rights of the individual to reproduce? Can society dictate that you don't have, you are not going to, to bring good genes into our society? We want you out of the gene pool because we don't like your family history. So we are going to cut off your balls, sir. Yes, cut off his balls. We're from the Department of Interior. Oh, yes. How are you? Fine, just fine. Fine, just fine. Fine, fine just fine. fine. Fine, just fine. Fine, just fine. Cut off his balls. Okay. The thing is, can that happen? And that, that's, that's when I transition into genetic engineering and why it is not eugenics. Because genetic engineering as it is currently starting to play out. And we're still taking some baby steps right now. But big future changes are coming. The way I see it with PGT screening, which is looking at genes within within an embryo or, a, or an egg cell or a, or a sperm cell, What, what it does what it does is you can go in there and you can see potential gen genetic defects and eventually in the future we will be able to see other traits as well such as well, such as height or I mean of course there's no specific gene for intelligence but it's very very complicated um, but possibly height and this, doesn't, this is not completely predictive. This is more like a, 
the genes will say there, there's a 60 or 70% chance of this trait uh, expressing itself. But what we are able to do is with even not in the, I think we can do it now, definitely in the not too distant future for sure, is we'll be able to turn off the, using epigenetics, I believe, or just turning off certain genes um, for things like Huntington's or I believe cystic fibrosis is a single gene mutation. Fibro fibrosis. A single gene disorder. Yeah, so cystic fibrosis is a single is a single gene sickle cell fragile X's syndrome, muscular dystrophy. I've said Huntington's. But this is not putting the needs of society over the needs of the individual. This is putting the individual over society. Because what you're saying, you're not, you're not doing this for the good of society. You're doing this for the good of the individual, you're saying. Okay, I want this person to have a long, healthy life, to live the best life they possibly can. So let's let's say that we have the possibility to change possibility to change uh traits that are not diseases so we want to make sure that they're smart strong or at least give them an affinity for that it doesn't mean it'll necessarily be like that because there's obviously a lot of environmental factors in at least some of these things not huntingtons but But yeah, so in this case, so you're putting the individual over the collective. That's the important distinction to make between that and eugenics. And then I had another point I was going to make, and then I just forgot it. So give me just a moment while I try to think of it. I don't know. I, I basically said what I wanted to say as far as that goes. Um, yeah, you're just... Because... Because, let's face it, all parents want their kids to have the best chances in life. And so, and of course, while, while some of them will support PGT screening and IVF in vitro fertilization. Oh, and PGT stands for pre-implantation genetic, te genetic testing. Um... This is something that can be used to help the chances of new kids. But, oh, yes, I, for, I remember. Another th difference is eugenics, 
one of the things it did was prevent people from having children. This is not what genetic engineering that we're doing does. What it does is it just, you can use it to select for certain traits, but it's, it's not, you're not deciding which individuals can, can pass on their genes. You're deciding which genes within that individual go on, go on to become a human. So it's not that, I mean, if you want to call it modern eugenics, fine, I guess. I prefer not to. Because why, why give it the name of, why associate with something that's truly evil? Okay. Okay. Time for something a little more fun now. Fine. Fine. I'm just fine. Just fine. Fine. Just fine. Fine. Just fine. Fine. Just fine. Job application with Trey Parker and Matt Stone. Wow, <laughs> oh, these are fine credentials, Mrs. Johnston. Just fine. I see you graduated from the University of Illinois. Yes, and as you can also see, also worked for three years for uh, Smith Aircraft. Oh, that, that's fine, Miss Johnson. Just, yeah, just fine. fine. I'll think it over. Goodbye. Well, I, I know I could do the job, sir. I'm sure you could, little lady. Goodbye. Oh, Miss McGillicuddy, send in the next applicant, please. You know Trey Parker and Matt Stone are. They created South Park. This is, looks like it's from the 90s. Ah, hello, young whippersnapper. Where did you go to college? I didn't. I see. Had any experience? No, but that's fine. Just fine. Fine, just fine. Fine. Any reason you feel qualified for this job? Well, I'm white. And I'm a male. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you just talked yourself into a job. <laughs> well, that's how it often was, folks. Racial and ethnic minorities were often denied promotions or jobs, not because they weren't qualified, the but because of their race, gender, this? or ethnicity. <laughs> what? Okay. One. Okay. Next topic I wanted to get into is kind of a fun one. And it's Are we in the Truman Show? <laughs> Hold on. Let's see. Comments are still headed. What else is on? Yeah, let's do what else. Coming to you now from the largest studio ever constructed. It's <laughs> the Truman Show. <laughs> yeah. Imagine if you imagine if that was your life. Just your whole life is fake. 
All your friends were actors. Your parents were actors. <laughs> Nothing you know is real. You're just living in a giant, giant TV studio. Good morning. Good morning. Oh, and in case I don't see you, good afternoon, good, good evening, and good night. What if? No scripts. No cue cards. Morning, Spencer. How's it going? What if you were watched every moment of your life? How many cameras you got there in that town? Five thousand. Pretty R-rated movie. Child to have been legally adopted by a corporation. That's correct. Brilliant. What if everyone you knew was pretending? Hi, honey. Look what I got at the checkout. Dishwasher safe. <laughs> That's amazing. What if your world was made? Okay. Well. Let's just say that the chances of this happening in real life are very unlikely. First of all, imagine... I've seen the argument made. Imagine... Imagine the huge conspiracy that would be required for every every one of 7 billion people to be in. Well, first of all, that's not true. Not all 7 billion people would have to be in on it. The only people that would have to be in on it are the people that regularly interact with you on a daily basis. So what is that? Like maybe probably not even hundred. I don't know. It depends. It depends who you are. Yeah. Um also imagine all the cameras and how how inefficient that would be. I I'm not even gonna argue about being inside a giant dome. Like that's that's even less likely. Let's see, it's re you're in the world, really. But there are a number of cameras all over that a number of people are aware of, but not everyone. And people that have seen the show are automatically in on it. They don't even have to be told to. They just kind of know if they ever, by chance, see you. Probably don't tell them. If you're, if you're a brown noser, that is. Or if you're a decent human being, you will tell them because that would be a terrible life. Now, you wouldn't know it's a terrible life. You just think it's life. Wow. I don't know. I'm not saying it's impossible. Maybe I'm in a, a Truman Show. Right now is the point when I start a podcast. And that's fine, just fine. Fine, fine, just fine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Ooh. Just got an idea for a topic, but I want to wait until next week to talk about it. Because right now, I want to get into some a little more fun stuff.
know what this This is the one I want. This is fun. Please allow me to introduce myself. I'm a man of wealth and taste.
stuck around St. Petersburg When I saw it was the time for a change Killed the Tsar and his ministers Anastasia screamed in vain I rode a tank and the general's rank When the police creek raged and the body stank
I'm, I'm thirsting for one. Um, I'm tired, man. I can think of a number of them. Um, here's a weird one. Okay, this one's...
were strange When you're a stranger Faces look ugly When you're alone Women seem wicked When you're unwanted Streets are uneven When you're down When you're strange Faces come out of the rain When you're strange No one remembers your name When you're strange When you're strange When you're strange People are strange When you're a stranger Faces look ugly When you're alone Women seem wicked When you're unwanted Streets are uneven When you're down strange faces come out of the rain when you're strange no one remembers your name when you're strange when you're strange when you're strange all right yeah Faces come out of the rain When you're strange No one remembers your name When you're strange When you're strange When you're strange All right That's gonna, that's gonna, be, that's gonna do it for today, folks All right, this has been great I'm Chris Wright with Point Counterpoint from KUST University of St. Thomas Campus Radio. It's been lit, fam. Namaste. See you later. <laughs>